If you asked a group of random strangers what it meant to be healthy, so if you posed that question, if you said, to you, what does it mean to be healthy? I'm sure you would be offered a variety of suggestions, maybe some suggestions that you wouldn't necessarily want to hear or necessarily even agree with, but I do think that most people would probably answer that question in relation to physical health. Wouldn't you assume that if you ask somebody, what does it mean to be healthy? I think they would primarily focus on physical health. And healthy bodies are certainly important, and that's something we're going to be talking about in coming weeks as well. But there's a deeper level of health with longer lasting results that we should prioritize first. Now, as followers of Christ, we're empowered to be spiritually healthy. When you look at what Scripture tells us and what Scripture reveals... Scripture makes it abundantly clear that the Lord's empowered us to be spiritually healthy. But what does that look like? And how can we as believers in Jesus Christ obtain a spiritual vibrancy that I would assume many of us, if not most of us, if not all of us gathered together in this room, are craving? Well, before we talk about the nature of spiritual health, I thought it would be useful to take a brief moment to talk about what it looks like to be spiritually unhealthy. So we're going to spend the bulk of our, our, our time today talking about spiritual health, but again, what, what would it look like to be spiritually unhealthy? What are some characteristics of a spiritually unhealthy person that might also be useful to notice? I think that if someone's spiritually unhealthy, they probably fall in, into at least one of three categories. Either they're spiritually rebellious, or they're spiritually dismissive, or they're spiritually backslidden. Now, what do I mean by those things? Now, I would define a spiritually rebellious person as someone who actively works against the plans and the priorities of God. So I would think that a spiritually rebellious person might very well likely be openly hostile to the name of Christ. I think they might be openly hostile toward those who claim to follow Christ. I think that that's what a spiritually rebellious person might look like. I think a spiritually dismissive person, uh, in my estimation, would be the type of person who does their best just not to think about spiritual things. And you probably have some people in your life that you would say probably fall into that category. There's certainly some people in my life that fall into that category. They just prefer not to really think about spiritual things. So their focus, their priorities... It would, would largely be dominated by the cares of this world or maybe getting ahead in this world and what that looks like to them. A spiritually backslidden person would be the type of person who knows better than to adopt a worldly mindset or to adopt sinful behaviors into their lives, but the allure and the temptations of sin look so appealing to them that they keep welcoming more and more and more worldliness into their lives. And, it, and at present, one of their most frequent spiritual activities is to try to get good at, at ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit without feeling guilty for doing so. I would say that that would be a characteristic of a spiritually backslidden person. They try to ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit without feeling guilty for doing so. But spiritually healthy people, on the other hand, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. 
Scripture tells us some additional things about the walk that, that a spiritually healthy person has with the Lord that I think we should notice if it's our desire to experience a healthy, growing, vibrant walk with Christ. And let me show you one of the first characteristics that Scripture shows us about what it looks like to be spiritually healthy. And that's this. Having a sincere longing for the Lord's presence in your life. A spiritually healthy person has a sincere longing for the Lord's presence in their life. Let me show you what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. It says this, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, my wife and I have been blessed with four children. And at present, they're all teenagers. So one of the benefits that comes with, with them being teenagers, they eat all your food, right? Um, but they're not hard to feed. Now, when our children were infants, when they were little, and those of you with little children and, and with infants recognize that this is the case, it's a completely different story, right? They're, they're challenging at times uh, to feed or to convince to eat. Uh, when you're... <laughs> When you're feeding infants, when you're feeding children, sometimes it could be messy. Often it's loud. Often you might ask yourself the question, what have I got myself into, right? You know, like, what, what it, like why is it so complicated to feed this child? Or do you ever have a child go on a, a, a season where they're just kind of doing like a hunger protest or a food protest where it's kind of like, all right, you know what? My goal is to make this as complicated as I possibly can for you right now. And this is the only leverage I have over you, mom or, or dad. Um, I still get a kick out of the story that my mother used to tell of the first time I ever ate solid food. So I'm the, the oldest child in my family. And uh, at the time, I don't know how many months old I was, but I was whatever months old I was, still quite young, had never had solid food. And a friend of my mother's from growing up came over, and she and my mother decided that they were going to bake chocolate chip cookies. So they started baking cookies, and I guess I was sitting there in the high chair, smelling those cookies, wanting those cookies, and uh, her friend noticed that I was very interested in these cookies that were being made. So soon after they came out of the oven and cooled off a little bit, she gave me one. And I was very happy as I ate it. And I was enjoying it and probably just gumming it, uh, probably not too terribly long before my mother noticed and then commented, he's never had solid food. He's never had solid... So my first solid food was a chocolate chip cookie, right? And uh, some of you were like, yeah, that, w- that would make sense, right? You probably were thinking that, Rose, right? You know, that, that makes sense. He seems like a person who was, who was raised on chocolate chip cookies. But it was the first solid food I ever ate. And then my mother said it was quite the struggle to get the cookie off of me. Because once I tasted it, I didn't want to give it back. I wanted to keep it, right? I wanted to eat it. I wanted to finish it. Well, when you look at what Peter says here in 1 Peter chapter 2, he describes a spiritually healthy person as somebody who has a healthy appetite. And it's not an appetite for baked goods. It's not an appetite for physical food in in the least. But what he's talking about is the idea that, that they have a healthy appetite for the Lord's presence in their life. So as those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, they've experienced the Lord's presence. They've tasted the difference that He makes for us. 
And if, we're, if we've tasted the difference that He's made for us, what we're, what we're experiencing in result, or as a result of that, we're convinced that what He's doing is good, and we long to know Him in a deeper way. These are the type of things that Peter is talking about in his letter. You know, he's saying, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. And then he says, you know, this idea, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. So those who have tasted that the Lord is indeed good, they long for Him more and more. Is that a craving that you can relate to as we look at what that Scripture says? This craving to have more of the Lord in your life, this craving to experience the Lord's presence, this craving to to ultimately understand who the Lord is and yield more and more of your life over to Him. This desire to have the Lord involved in all aspects of your life, recognizing that the Lord is indeed the source of your life. Do you possess a sincere longing for the Lord's presence in your life? Or the other side of that is this, or are we still trying to keep Him at bay so that He doesn't invade the parts of our lives that we would rather keep for ourselves. Scripture tells us that those that are growing spiritually mature have a longing for the Lord's presence in their life. Something else we see in Scripture is this. This is from Luke chapter 8. It shows us that those that are growing spiritually mature, they hear the Word of God and they hold on to it. They hear the Word of God and they hold on to it. Let me show you what it says in this Scripture. It says, and so Jesus is sharing a parable here. And He says this, He says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the Word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. Now, I'm somebody who appreciates a good story. And probably, I I would say that's almost universally true of just about all of us. We probably appreciate hearing a good story. When I was growing up, I had a friend uh, who was an expert storyteller. And he could take the most mundane aspects of day-to-day life and weave them into a story that would keep us riveted. And sometimes we would sit there and we would listen to him talk about things that normally you wouldn't sit there and listen to somebody talk about, but he could tell stories with such precision and so interestingly and so cleverly that we would sit there and listen. By the way, this is what we had to do back in the days before the Internet. Like You just had to sit and listen to your friends tell stories. But I remember at one point, I actually prayed to the Lord. I remember praying as I was listening to him tell stories. I I, I prayed, Lord... Would you help me to be a storyteller like this man? Will you help me to be a storyteller like this guy? Because I I just found it so fascinating to hear the things that he would tell. I'm right now reading a book by an author named Bob Goff. You ever heard of Bob Goff? You ever hear of the book Love Does? If you've never read that book, I'd encourage you to read it. Very interesting book. And what you discover as you're reading through the book is this. He's an expert storyteller. And he takes different examples and different stories from his day-to-day life and he applies them to his walk with Christ and he shows you some of the things that the Lord was explaining to him during those particular seasons. And when you look at what Jesus says in portions of Scripture like we see here in Luke chapter 8, you have Jesus telling a story. 
You have him giving an example here. And during the course of his earthly ministry, he would often do this. He would often tell stories. And some of the most powerful stories that Jesus would tell were in parable form. And as he was telling these stories, what he would do is he would take these parables and he would, he would, what he was doing was illustrating deep spiritual truths by telling brief stories about familiar everyday occurrences. And in Luke chapter 8, he was telling a story about somebody who was sowing seed. Now, I don't, I'm assuming probably if you have sown seed, this is a time of year where you've probably done that. I was recently trying to coach somebody who is trying to uh, plant grass in their lawn, and he wanted to know what he needed to do to get the seed to take root. So I was talking to him about that, and here you have Jesus in this particular example talking about something that people would be familiar with, this idea of sowing seed. And Jesus says that basically in this particular context, uh, as this person who's sowing seed, as he takes the seed and he spreads it around, the seed would fall in various places. So it would, you know, be carried, it would drift, it would, it would land in various spots. Some of it fell on a path and was trampled, Jesus says. Some of it fell on rocks and could not root. Some of it fell among thorns, and Jesus says the stuff that fell among thorns ended up being choked. And then some fell on good soil, and it rooted deeply, and it was nourished, and it grew. And when you look at what Jesus is talking about as He explains these details in this parable, Jesus made it clear that the seed that fell on good soil, that it provided an example for those who desire to grow spiritually mature. The seed falling on the good soil, it represented those who heard the Word of God and held on to it. And they treasure it in their heart. And they bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their day-to-day lives. And they exhibit patience as they learn to trust the Lord's timing. And they learn to trust the Lord's plans. They hear the Word of God and they hold on to it. One of the things that is important to me and important to my wife uh, in our own lives, but also in the culture or tone that we set in our household, is the idea of valuing the Word of God. Now, you could set that tone in your household, and you can model an appreciation for the Word of God, but that does not guarantee that the children that you raise are also going to have that same mindset. Would you agree? You know, you, you, can, you can embrace the truth, but that doesn't guarantee that those that you're trying to encourage or those that you're trying to influence necessarily will. So I was very, I was blessed by something recently that, uh, that I happened to notice in the lives of our kids. I hope they don't mind me saying this, but they tend to be a forgiving group, so we'll see what happens. But I have a habit, and it, I know it's ridiculous now, particularly how old my children are, all right? So they're older now. I mean, when you have a child that's 19, do you still need to check on them at night? Like, what am I, what am I, what am I doing, right, when I'm checking on my children at night? Why am I doing that? But those of you that have young children, aren't you in that habit before you can go to sleep? Don't you check on your family? You just go around. You check. I can't go to sleep if I don't check on everybody, right? So I'll, I'm usually the last one to go to bed. So I'll just go room to room, make sure everybody's doing good, make sure everything's fine, and then I can go to sleep. So uh, I guess this was really just last week, or it might have been the week before. I did that routine, which I normally do anyway, and as I was, as I was checking on them, 
um, I, I walked into the girls' room, and I happened to notice that they were listening to something. And I, I listened to what they were listening to. And I thought, okay, what is that? And it happened to be sermons from the book of Daniel. And I thought, alright, sermons from the book of Daniel. I thought, well, that's great. It encouraged my heart to happen to hear that. And I thought, well, that's cool that they decided to listen to sermons from the book of Daniel as they were calling it a night. And then I went into my son's room and I heard that they were listening to something. And uh, it happened to be an audio Bible. And I thought, alright, so sermons from the book of Daniel in one room, an audio Bible in another room. I felt edified, I felt blessed as I, as I observed that this is what they chose to feed their hearts and their minds as they were falling asleep. Because one of the things that you notice, and Jesus stresses it here in this portion of Scripture, as He's talking about these things, those that grow spiritually mature, they hear the Word of God and they hold on to it. They don't just hear the Word of God and dismiss it, or hear the Word of God and say that's for somebody else. They hear the Word of God and they hold on to it like good soil that takes a seed and receives it, and the seed becomes fruitful. It takes root and it becomes fruitful. They hold on to the Word of God. They hear it. They hold on to it. Those who successfully grow spiritually are those who do so eagerly. Something else that Scripture brings out that I want to point out is this. Those that are growing spiritually healthy, spiritually mature, they value prayer and they invest in their walk with Christ. They value prayer and they invest in their walk with Christ. Look with me at what it tells us in Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10. It says this, And so, from the day we heard... So this, by the way, is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Colossae. But he says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, recently, I heard of something that prompted me to be praying for others. And I'm sure there are probably things that come across your path, maybe even on a daily basis, that prompt you to pray for others. I would say that that's certainly the case for me as well. Last summer, our family had the opportunity to be part of a family camp. And it was something that, that was new for us. We had the privilege to do that at Bethany Camp in New York. And so we all were in one cabin together, and we had the chance to, to meet a, a whole bunch of new people. And one particular family that we met and became friends with happened to be there. And I noticed uh, earlier this past week that the son apparently was having a variety of health concerns that were so bad that he needed a kidney transplant. And the family, in trying to figure out how to go about that, they were all tested, I guess, to see uh, if maybe any of them could be a donor match. And it was determined that the dad was a donor match. That if he wanted to, he could give his son a kidney, and his son could live, and hopefully be well. So the family prayed about it, but I don't think it was much of a, a lengthy decision. They decided that the dad would give his kidney to the son. So Nick gave Nicky his kidney this week. And when I found out about this and found out that this was about to take place on, uh, on the 2nd, so just a few days ago, I asked the family, I said, do you mind 
if I share this information with our church family. Because if I share it with our church family, I know that they'll keep your family in prayer. And obviously their answer was, yes, please share this. And so I shared this on my personal Facebook page. I shared this on the church Facebook page. And many of you committed during the course of this week to be praying for them. And thankfully, uh, everything went well with the transplant. And both father and son are, are doing well and, and, uh, you know, they're, they're recovering. Obviously, they're in a lot of discomfort and a lot of pain and their bodies are, uh, you know, getting used to this new reality. But the son who received the kidney, his body's receiving it well and he's, he seems to be doing well. So continue to pray for them. But one of the things that I was grateful for in that moment was just the fellowship that exists when we as believers commit to pray for one another. And the fact that the Lord gives us the opportunity to do so. That if you have a need, that we can be praying for that. That if I have a need, that you could be praying for that. That if people that you don't even know personally, but because we're part of the body of Christ together have a need, that we can joyfully and eagerly pray for that. And we as a church family, we're doing that this week for Nick and for Nikki and for their family. And when you look at what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, you can see that the Apostle Paul felt led to pray for the church at Colossae. And he hears about their faith, and he's overjoyed as he hears about what the Lord's doing in their lives. Now, Paul made it a practice to pray every day uh, for the Colossians. He would lift them up in prayer every day. You know, he made this not just like something he would do on occasion, but he, he he made sure that he was prompted to pray for them daily. And he hears about their faith, and he's overjoyed, and he prays that the Lord would continue to do a great work in their day-to-day life. He prays that their their young faith would grow mature. He prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. These are good things for believers to be praying about for each other, right? He prays that they would grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding. He wanted them to experience the new perspective that we're granted uh, when we're given the mind of Christ after we come to faith in Christ. These are the type of things that the Apostle Paul was praying for on behalf of the Colossian church. And by the way, as we pray, so as you pray, as I pray, as we develop a new Christ-centered way of thinking, what begins to take place in our lives? You know, when you commit to become somebody who, who lifts up your life to the Lord in prayer. And when you're praying for others, and when you pray about the type of things that the Apostle Paul is praying about in this portion of Scripture, what begins to take place in our lives? Well, we start to see life differently, and we start to live life differently. Now, Paul realized that many of the Colossians who now knew Christ had also spent the bulk of their lives up to that point immersed in a sinful pagan culture that embraced the ungodly philosophies and the doctrines of demons that were common in that era. And the city of Colossae was apparently highly known for that. But now their eyes had been opened to the truth of the gospel. And their hearts had been opened to the truth of the gospel. And this group of believers, these young believers in Christ, would now be empowered by Christ to live differently in the midst of that pagan culture. And Paul describes this new life in Christ as walking. Look at how he says it here. He says, he says it, he describes it as walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing 
in the knowledge of God. So in describing his prayers for them and in going into great, deal, uh, great detail about what he was praying God would do in their lives, you have the Apostle Paul teaching the church at Colossae something about spiritual health, something about spiritual maturity, namely to value prayer and to keep investing in their walk with Christ. Are we known as a praying people? Are we a praying people? Are you a praying person? Are you somebody who makes prayer an investment in your life? Are we investing in our walk with Christ through prayer? And filling our hearts and filling our minds with the things of God. If spiritual health is high on our list of priorities, the answer for those questions will be yes. And this was the type of thing that the Apostle Paul was trying to model for the church at Colossae. Now, he mentioned something else later in the book to, Col- to the Colossians that I want to point out as well, and that's this. And this is the fourth thing that I want to point out to us this morning in regard to spiritual health. A spiritually healthy person is someone who develops deep roots that bear fruit. Look at what it tells us in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. There it says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. Uh, Do you like the warm months? Do you like the time of year where it's warm? I do. You know, I I, I feel a little extra warm this morning. Um, So I guess I like the warm months that are in the high 70s more than the mid 80s or low 90s. But I like the warm months. I like when the sunshine is out. I like, I like the things that our family is able to do during these months. I like the fact that I see my neighbors. That we're not all cooped up. I like the warm months. And I have a habit, like probably many of you do, if you have a lawn you have to take care of during the warm months, you probably have kind of a routine that you follow with that. I have a routine. It's a pretty obvious routine. When I'm mowing the lawn, so usually I mow the lawn, weather permitting, usually it's Monday. Right, So I take Monday off, and so usually I incorporate mowing the lawn. Because what better way to spend a restful day than doing yard work, right? So I mow the lawn usually on Mondays. And this is the pattern that I have. I mow the big parts first with the push mower. Then I come along and I do the trimming. You know, So I take the weed whacker and I trim around the house and trim around the edges of the lawn. And then I have an attachment that actually attaches to my trimmer that is a blower attachment, one of the best $25 purchases I ever made. So I don't even need to shut down the trimmer, really. I just take the end of the trimmer off and put another piece on there, and it's a very good blower. And so I just keep it fired up, and then I blow all the trimmings into the yard so that they're all cleaned up. And then I have one final thing that I do. I go around to all the landscaping areas in the yard, and I pull the weeds. There's any weeds that have grown during the course of the week in those landscaping areas, I pull them out. And usually it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to pull those weeds because most of the weeds, ironically, even some of the ones that are very tall, you know, if, they, if something grows really quick and really tall, and I have some in the, the very back of my yard that can grow really tall sometimes very quickly, you go to pull them out and they come out like nothing. Now, why do they come out like nothing? It's because they have very shallow roots. 
Their roots go almost nowhere. Their roots are just surface roots. I don't even know how these things stand up or how they're able to grow so tall because their roots are so shallow. And so when I go to pull them out, they come right out almost instantly. Well, when we're talking about spiritual health, and when we're looking at what Scripture says about spiritual health, one of the things that it talks about is the fact that spiritually healthy people do not have shallow roots. And what the Scripture that we just read from Colossians illustrates for us is this. As our walk with Christ grows, and we become more and more convinced that He is the true source of spiritual nourishment, that He is the source of living water that our souls crave, we will seek to root deeper and deeper in Him. Healthy grass, healthy trees, healthy plants develop deep roots. And healthy Christians do exactly the same thing. So as Paul speaks to the Colossians here, what he did was he encouraged them to, con- to continue to acknowledge Jesus as Lord of their lives, to walk with Christ, to root deeply in Christ, to be built up by Christ, and to experience an established faith. And Paul's desire for this church was very much like the type of, the de- of desires that a parent might express for their children. Good parents want their children to grow wise and strong and capable to handle all the challenges and all the seasons of adversity that naturally come in any person's life. And so those who are deeply rooted in Christ are certainly equipped to face those challenges. But consider the type of challenges that we experience throughout the course of our day-to-day lives while we're walking on the face of this earth. Inevitably, we experience seasons of trial. You experience seasons of trial. I experience seasons of trial. And I have to say this. You know, I've been around now for for 42, almost 43 years. Some of our trials really have the habit, or or the ability, I should say, to break our hearts. Have you ever gone through something that really, if you just described it, you're like, this just breaks my heart. And it can bring you to the point of desperation where you feel like, You know, I wonder, Lord, can I handle any more heartbreak or can I handle any more pain? During the course of your life, you are bound to experience trials. Or maybe right now you're going through a season that you wouldn't necessarily say, you know, maybe maybe it's not a trial, maybe it's just a disappointment. Right? Maybe you had a very specific vision for what this season of your life was going to look like. And maybe you were counting on somebody to do something for you that they didn't follow through on. And so you're feeling disappointed during this season. Or maybe you would look at this season of life and say, well, it doesn't necessarily fit in those categories, but what it does fit in is just thinking about this idea of change. I'm going through a season of change. Changes that I have no control over. Changes at work. Changes at home. Changes in relationships. Possibly even changes in your physical health. Maybe this is a season of change for you. Or maybe you've experienced in recent days a season that you would say this is a season of unexpected trauma. The type of thing where you've heard about these things happening to other people, but personally, you never really experienced them. But now you're right in the midst of a season that you would say this is one of the most painful things I've ever been called to face. It is a genuine trauma, and I'm struggling to get through it. Or, when you look at this season of your life, maybe you're saying this is a season where I've been experiencing sincere, genuine temptation. You've been wrestling with all kinds of temptation. 
Temptation is an inevitable reality when we have a sin nature and we're living in the midst of a sinful environment. And at times in our lives, all of us have to admit that we've given in to unhealthy temptations. But now if you're seeking to grow in your walk with Christ, hopefully that also means that you're looking at your temptations differently and you're saying, okay, I don't want to give in to these things anymore. I don't want to allow these things to have mastery over me, but they're very much present in my day-to-day life. We all face trials at some point. We all face disappointments. We all face changes. We all face trauma. We all face temptation. But we don't all face them the same way. If you're deeply rooted in Christ, you will face these challenges much differently than you will than if your roots are just superficial. You have superficial roots, you'll face these things one way, but if you're deeply rooted in Christ, you'll face these things differently. And not only are you going to be able to stand firm in your difficult moments, you're also going to be able to bear spiritual fruit that might actually surprise others, particularly those who aren't rooted as spiritually deep as the Lord's allowed you to root. And this passage from Colossians, as Paul's speaking to this church, it actually mentions a very interesting piece of evidence of the fruit of being rooted deeply in Christ. And it's the kind of fruit that might help others take notice of the nature of your faith. It's the kind of fruit that I think others probably won't be expecting of you during your seasons of adversity unless they understand whom you're rooted to. And the fruit that I'm referring to that's referenced here in this passage is the fruit of thanksgiving. In Colossians 2, verse 7, Paul speaks of those who are rooted in Christ and established in the faith as abounding in thanksgiving, right? That's what he says there. Verse 7, right at the end of what we just looked at, he says, abounding in thanksgiving. That we would be abounding in thanksgiving. I love that description. That that's evidence of being rooted deeply in Christ. That we would be abounding in thanksgiving. It's a reminder that our lives are not rooted in our pain. Our lives are not rooted in our disappointments or our trials or our temptations. Our lives are rooted in Christ. And the fruit of that is that we would be abounding in thanksgiving, meaning that we can give genuine thanks to Christ no matter what our present circumstances look like. No matter what. And for evidence of that, if you want some proof of that, Just look at the person who was writing these things down as the Holy Spirit inspired him to pen these things down. The Apostle Paul was writing these things down to the church at Colossae. Where was he when he was writing these things? He was in prison in Rome. He's in prison in Rome, and he's speaking about the blessing of being rooted deeply in Christ, and the result of that being the ability to abound in thanksgiving. And what he's saying is it's not a circumstantial thanks. It's not something that has to be dependent on your circumstances or comfort level at a particular moment. Our thanksgiving is the fruit of being rooted in Christ. So if you're at a spot where you've looked at your life and you've said, all right, I want to make some investments in my health, but where do I start? I want to make some investments in my growth, but where do I begin? 
if it's your desire to become truly healthy in the spiritual sense, I think we would do well to consider the counsel that we can see as we look through what Scripture reveals to us. Because it teaches us that those who are spiritually healthy are those who long for the Lord's presence in their life. They hear the Word of God and they hold on to it. They're people who value prayer. They're people who invest in their walk with the Lord. They are people who root their lives deeply in Christ. This is evidence of spiritual growth. This is evidence of spiritual health. This is evidence of spiritual maturity. This is the picture that Scripture paints for us, if that's something that we've learned to value. Leonard Ravenhill, uh, he once told the story about a group of tourists who were visiting a picturesque village, and they walked by an old man who happened to be sitting by the fence, and I guess one of the tourists said something rather patronizing as he was looking at the old man, and he said to the old man, he said, uh, excuse me, sir, were any great men born in this village? Now picture yourself being the old man hearing this. It's like, were any great men born in this village? And apparently the old man received this in kind of a patronizing way. He thought this was kind of a patronizing question. Were any great men born in this village? And so the old man gave his reply. And he said this to that question. He said, were any great men born in this village? Nope. Only babies. Only babies were born in this village. And I thought that was funny when I read it, but isn't it the case that that's the same with us in regard to our spiritual walk? We start as spiritual infants, but by the grace of God, we're enabled to to grow healthy and to grow mature as we keep walking daily with Christ by faith. We don't start off at a spot of spiritual maturity. We're born as infants. We're born as babies who are given the privilege with the Lord's help, with His guidance, to grow spiritually healthy to grow spiritually mature, and to recognize that that's His desire for us. Christ also wants us to remember that we can't do this in our own strength, and we can't do this in our own power. That we need to be people who rely on Him in all matters and in all areas. And He knows that in whatever context we find ourselves in, we may find ourselves Tempted to drift toward relying on ourselves. But Christ shows us time and time again that He is our sufficiency. And as we finish with prayer, let's thank Him for being our sufficiency. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the fact that You are sufficient to provide us the help and the guidance and the strength that we need. Lord, as we look at Your Word, we recognize that You convey in Your Word that You desire that we grow in our walk with You. Lord, we know that in many respects, spiritual maturity can sometimes seem elusive to us. Lord, we know that that at times we can maybe look at others and and even feel somewhat jealous of the the state of growth that they're at, not recognizing that that's available to us as well. Lord, as we look at Your Word, we we see that You have revealed to us that Your power is available to us. And You encourage us, Lord, as You're holding on to us to be people who value You 
and who prize your presence with us. Lord, we pray that we would live lives that are lived in such a way that we recognize that you are not distant from those that call on your name. Not far from us. You're right here. And so, Lord, we pray that we would learn to value living in your presence. We're grateful, Lord, for your goodness. We're grateful for your love. And we pray that by your grace, you'd help us to grow spiritually mature as we seek to put you first in all areas of our lives. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenges that you've given to us from it today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.